You're listening to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA legends, pros and top instructors come to share their stories, insights and tips. Now, back to you, Chris. All right, now back with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is former PGA Tour pro Richard Zokel. And let me remind you about Richard's background. He's from Kitimat, uh, British Columbia, which is on the west coast in the central part of the province. Played his college golf at Brigham Young from 1977 to 1981, where he helped them to a first or a second place finish in the Western Athletic Conference all four years he was there. They finished second in the national championship in 1980, come back the next year in 81, and he captained them to the national championship along with his teammates Rick Fair, Keith Clearwater, David DeSantis, and Bobby Clampett. And Bobby and Richard were, t- uh, were roommates for three years there at BYU. In 2009, that 81 golf team was inducted into the Brigham Young Athletics Hall of Fame. That year, Richard won the 81 Canadian Amateur Championship by one stroke over Blaine McAllister in a sudden death playoff and then turned pro. The year before, in 80, Richard won the International Champions Tournament over in Morocco. Among his other wins were the 1982 British Columbia Open and the 1984 Utah State Open. On the PGA Tour, he won twice in 1992 at the Deposit Guarantee Classic and the Greater Milwaukee Open. 2001, he won won on the Web.com Tour at the Canadian PGA Championship. And in 2011, he was inducted into the Canadian Golf Hall of Fame. He is now the founder of MindLink Golf, which you can find online at MindLinkGolf.com. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. But uh, I'm very excited to have Richard back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Richard, thanks for joining me again tonight. Well, thank you for having me, Chris. Uh, much appreciated. So, Richard, I, I want to start our time tonight by getting your thoughts on what we just saw at the PGA Championship. What did you think about what we witnessed, particularly on Sunday? Wow, it, I, it was it was a remarkable event. First of all, that we all know that uh, <clears throat> the whole golf world got excited to see and 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 what they were expecting out of Tiger. You know, when he came, you know, he we watched him in the final round of the Open Championship. He he got uh, a taste of the lead on the back nine on Sunday. That was electrifying. And then as he's making his ascent back, he's you know starting to try or he's trying and attempting and being successful in. Limit, eliminating his mistakes and uh, making great progress. So when he was in the hunt, uh, uh, particularly on the back nine, and then we watched Brooks Kepka, you know, really take a page out of Tiger Woods in his prime. Uh, you know, it was a, it was an outstanding performance by by Tiger. It was an outstanding performance by Brooks Kepka. I think that you know, like we 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 got to give our dues to Brooks Kepka. He is literally a product of Tiger Woods. He's, um, you know, from a physical point of view and an, and a mental point of view, Chris, you know, he, he's conditioned physically his body to be uh, something that he, that appears like Superman. But uh, what really is the difference in Brooks Kepka is his mental conditioning. We witnessed on Sunday something that is just so stoic. And it's the same type of conditioning he got his body into that he has had a very specific protocol, uh, at one that, uh, well, I want to talk about mind link as well that's conditioned him into be such a, a mentally strong competitor as well. And Richard, to that point, and this is something we've talked a lot about tonight on the show is, is 
his mental approach. He just seems unflappable, like nothing bothers him, nothing phases him that's going on out there. And he's certainly not overcome by the moment. So, you know, what do you think? How do you do that? How do you become so mentally strong that nothing like that gets to you? Well, Chris, the first thing you have to do is understand that you have to have a very specific protocol. It's kind of like you can't just go to the gym and and, and, and automatically morph into a physical fitness. You have to have a a physical protocol. Well, it's the exact same thing with your mind. And obviously, no one one has a perfectly conditioned mind for golf. Uh, and, And Brooks has uh, whatever he's done, I, I'm not pervy to what he has done, but it, there's no doubt that he has followed some form of protocol that now he's conditioned to love that moment. He, he looks like he's having fun. He talks about he is having fun. He talks about how his focus is even better in majors than it is PGA Tour events. And, uh, you know, he looks calm out there. And he's not, you know, he doesn't have this intensity where he's wasting any emotional fuel and, and, and he's, and he's a big, strong guy. So he's the complete package. But the mental aspect of the game is, is the next frontier of improvement. And we're watching a fellow in Brooks Kepka who had, who had control of his, uh, and has a, uh, you know, the best ability both physically and mentally. And, to what you mentioned a moment ago, and I heard Brooks Kepka, you know, talk about this, about how his focus at the majors is just way beyond what it is in a regular yeah. tour event. I mean, he's got four wins, three of which are majors, which is a heck of a ratio, right? Typically, we're used mm-hmm. to seeing it oh, yeah. way on the other side, right? You've got, you know, five, 10, 20 wins, one or two majors. He's got three majors and four wins. So when you look at that, right? How is it a, a, a uh, something that you think that he he'll be able to translate into you know winning the uh, you know the uh, the odd tour event here or there get him get himself two or three wins in a PGA Tour season sprinkle in another major or two or do you think he's just designed that it's a letdown it's a, you know it's just a, it's just a this or that open no big deal you know come talk to me come Masters U.S. Open Open Championship PGA time and then you'll see me. Oh, I think he's going to win a bunch of PGA Tour events. I think he's just just starting uh, his his ascent, and uh, I think he's going to have a bunch of uh, of championships. And part of the the indicators that I see in him that that make him so good from a mental point of view, like he was asked the question, you probably heard it as well, Chris. But you know, in the post round, he said, you know, he knew that the, that the people were pulling for Tiger in the final round, and and uh, someone asked him, says, do you care what people think about you? And his answer was beautiful. He just said, he says, I don't care what other people think about me. So that is another example of um, uh, of detaching emotionally from the result. The problem with most golfers, and I think everyone, all your, your, your listeners can uh, relate to it, is that when you, when you, think that other people care about your game and now it becomes a problem if you don't hit a good shot they may think less of you that's part of the problem and 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 you know if you want to overcome that you have to create a a system that trains you to emotionally detach from results and then you become a, a cold-blooded assassin and, and that's exactly what brooks kept did in in uh, in the toughest situation he's you know, the final nine on, on a major championship and he's staring down Tiger Woods when the whole world was rooting for Tiger Woods. So, you know, uh, more power to Brooks Kepka. 
Richard, I want to switch gears a little bit. And you shared a white paper that you wrote with me about the advances in technology that, you know, that the game yep. is going through. And, and at the forefront of that is the length the guys are hitting the golf ball now, right? Tiger Woods even mentioned it after his round on Sunday that, you know, with guys like Brooks and DJ and Rory, you know, flying the ball 340 yards, it, it's hard to compete unless you can do the same. So talk about what your white paper is about and what your thoughts are with respect to technology and where the game is right now. Well, yeah, in, in the USGA and the RNA are, are uh, I guess they're coming to an end of uh, collecting a lot of information from people around the world who have um, our concerns about the game and, and the part of the game where technology is perhaps gone a little too far. And the question is, is do we, you know, do they roll the equipment, the ball back? And, and keep in mind, it's not just the golf ball, as you know, Chris. It's, you know, the golf ball is one aspect of it. But when you have, uh, you know, the, these large drivers uh, that have uh, such a large uh, uh, moment of inertia, that's, you know, the sweet spot and, and, and the trampoline effect, it's causing the ball in the hands of the better players to for the ball to to not spin and go tremendous distances. So now, as uh, all those players that you talked about, even Tiger, he's in that that era, that uh, group as well, that consistently hit the ball, you know, above 300 yards, and the ball goes a lot straighter than it used to as well. So, you know, they're they're turning a lot of golf courses into very short golf courses. I think we all know that Dustin Johnson went through the whole year on the PGA Tour with uh, hitting only one six iron into a par four uh, and, and every other par four that he played was less than that. So um, there are some concerns because it is drastically changing the game. And uh, we got to find a way to make sure that the technology helps the average golfer uh, rather than the advanced golfer and perhaps put some uh, governors uh, at the professional level. And Richard, you talk about how there should be a balance between distance and accuracy and the spirit of the game being compromised when accuracy is less important than distance. And we heard Brooks Kepley talk, talk about this as well because he said, you know, it doesn't matter to him if he drives the ball in the fairway or not because he's going to hit a 350 in the air and he's going to have a nine iron or a pitching wedge into the green no matter where he's at. And he could spin a nine iron or a pitching wedge out of the rough just like he can out of, you know, in the middle of the fairway. So now, all of a sudden, you've got a completely different game and a completely different mindset. Talk about the impact that that has. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, and that right there it says it in a nutshell. I think uh, Brandel Chambly on the Golf Channel talks about it to great length as well. And, and uh, you know, I was just back at the Canadian Open a, a few weeks, a couple of weeks ago. And there, and I'm talking to, you know, some PGA Tour officials and some Golf Canada people and, and, and talking about the fact that how the PGA Tour officials agronomy side is has for, oh, about a decade now or, or so has decided to cut down the rough, the length of the rough. Uh, they want, uh, you know, their concerns are speed of play. They want to improve, but you know, that's another subject. Uh, but also, um, they want low scores. So if you, if we were able to create golf courses with, uh, with penal rough that, so when the long hitters or any hitter didn't have the proper balance of accuracy, 
um, uh, you know, the risk reward of pulling out driver and in, in the art of driving the ball in the fairway it should be rewarded. But uh, what shouldn't be re- rewarded in, in my way of thinking is the, the bombers that just smash it everywhere. And uh, it doesn't matter where you are in the rough that you're able to access particularly soft greens like we saw this past week at the PGA championship. So, you know, if, if the rough was penal and, uh, and guys like Brooks Kepka and Dustin Johnson weren't able to get to attack pins from the rough when they, when they're, when they're drives miss the fairway, then that would be a, a, a proper balanced setup and you wouldn't see, you know, such low scores on what used to be dif- difficult golf courses. So, Richard, are you an advocate of rolling back across the board and rolling back the, the, the size of the head of the driver, like you mentioned a moment ago, rolling back how far the ball can go? Or are you looking for that across the board? Are you looking for bifurcation? Talk about what's the solution. I think the solution is bifurcation. I was never a, a fan of bifurcation. I thought golf was such a great game. Uh, that amateurs and everyone played the same game, but it's just changed dramatically in the past 18 years, um, ever since 2000. That uh, uh, you know, you want to, you want the advances to go to the average person, the people that pay for the Callaways or the TaylorMades or, or Titleist golf clubs, because the technology is great. And, let, and you know, the golf we all know golf is a difficult game. But I would like to see the golf ball uh, and, uh, full, and, and create a bifurcation for the PGA Tour level. So if you're playing Web.com Tour or the PGA Tour, <clears throat> follow the same uh, path that Major League Baseball did. They didn't get pulled down the rabbit hole to use metal bats. Uh, oh, my gosh, I couldn't imagine. You know, there'd be deaths of shortstop, third basemen, and, and pitchers if they allowed uh, metal bats. And uh, what I would do, Chris, is I, I'd really affect the ball that it had to spin a lot more than it does. Uh, so that mishit shots, you know, they they uh, they spin and, and they'll slice or hook. This golf ball just doesn't spin. Then I would reduce the size, the maximum size for, again, the PGA Tour levels from a, from a 460cc and bring it down to, oh gosh, I'd bring it down to, you know, 320. And then I would, uh, we would make sure that the face doesn't have the, uh, the coefficient of restitution, which is the spring-like effect on the face. Cause I think, and, and we're not even talking about how the shaft has made a difference with power, the lighter shafts, but if you pull back the, uh, increase the spin on the golf ball, bring back the, 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 reduce the size of the head of the golf, the driver and the, uh, the woods, it, then it would reduce the, the, sweet spot and then also reduce the spring-like effect on the face and pull it back 10%. Uh, I think Jack talk, Nicholas talked about pulling back 20%. I think that's a little too much. But I think now then we're going to, we won't have a distortion from those who are the power players. Uh, we don't want to, I think it's a poor game if it just becomes a bomber's uh, contest. Uh, you know, the guys that learn to play and learn to play artfully and smart uh, should be in the game as well. Richard, a couple more before we let you go. And you founded a company called MindLink Golf. We've made mention of it a couple of times, but talk yeah. about what MindLink Golf is. Okay, well, MindLink is a it's a mental game improvement app, and uh, 
The protocol conditions golfers, as I mentioned, to detach emotionally from results uh, when you follow it. Uh, we focus on collecting uh, key performance data of every shot, Chris, and uh, you enter the data with every sh- after every shot. The software is being built all overseas right now, and we're going to have our product delivered to us uh, in December. So basically what you do, uh, you, you focus your attention on there's two key performance markers of every shot. And, and you're as good and I'm as good or every golfer is only as good as their ability to assess that shot. That is like picking the club and, and assessing the situation, wind, distance and all that stuff. And then your ability to execute the shot. So we collect those, that data. And then after every round, you get three reports and we use reports. Uh, provide a shot lost and shot gained information that are associated with each and every key performance marker. So basically that's what we do. And it, what it does, it inherently pulls the golfer into the present moment. And most importantly, and, and I call this function of golf insanity that we all do as golfers. We think about results. We think about our swing technique when we need to be learning how to focus on the shot at hand. Uh, no matter what the situation, it doesn't matter if you're Tiger Woods trying to make it on the 18th hole or if you're Joe Blow at the, at your country club trying to break 90. When you put your attention on the one shot at a time and your key performance markers of that shot, then you learn to detach emotionally from the results. And it gives you a freedom of, uh, of being able to optimize your, uh, optimize your ability. So, Richard, that begs the question, when do you think it's going to be available and when we can start checking it out? Well, I'm going to have it. We're going to be testing it, uh, what's called a functioning minimum viable product in December. I'm going to be taking it to the PGA of America at that point. And then next spring, next summer, then we anticipate it uh, being an app and available at at the app store. Um, and it'll, it'll probably be a, a $8, $9, $0.99 a month, uh, product. You'll be able to have golf lessons on, uh, pick up videos and you can use, uh, we have our podcast and right now we, I have about 30 podcasts. If you go to mindlinkgolf.com and in the page where it says rub of the mind, there is a number of <clears throat> podcasts. I put one up this morning about, uh, uh, Brooks Kepka last week. And uh, I'm going to be putting out another one on Thursday about this week at the Wyndham Championship and all those you know, the pressure on all those guys trying to make the 125. Uh, that's always a fascinating um, uh, discussion. And uh, so this uh, it'll also what the app will also do is it'll automatically keep your handicap, Chris. So there won't be any way because you're entering your score after every hole, um, and we're going to be able to capture all the ratings and the tees that every person plays when they use the MindLink app, they're, uh, they won't, they're, they'll, they'll be able to get their handicap done automatically all in one app. Sounds fantastic, Richard. Let our listeners know, you mentioned the website, but how can they stay up to date with what's going on? How they can they stay up to date with what you're doing, whether that's online or it's over social media? Well, my uh, Twitter name is at Richard Zokel, and, uh, and, uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I put out these uh, rub of the mind pon- podcasts whenever uh, you know useful inform- situations happen on the PGA Tour, and uh, I'd like to talk about why people are able to succeed in moments where other people 
you know, succumb to the pressure. And, uh, and I think we all can learn from that. And that's what MindLink is all about. Well, Richard, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. I'd like to continue to have you come back because I think a lot of the things that you share are very insightful. And I think it can help a lot of us play better golf, particularly when we talk about our mental approach. I think the things that you bring up are spot on. Hopefully you'll come back and join me again soon. Well, thank you, Chris. It's much appreciated. Thank you for thinking of me. And uh, anytime you want to invite me on your show, I'd be happy to do so. I appreciate that, Richard, very much. Take care, my friend. All the best to you and your family. Look forward to having you back soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. See you, Richard. That's Richard Zokel. Again, mindlinkgolf.com. And uh, the, the app sounds fantastic. And uh, capturing all that information, capturing you know our ability to you know capitalize and be a part of the moment, stay focused, and do all the things on the mental approach that he talked about is the thing that I find so rich. And hopefully we get to continue to have those conversations here, how the product's coming, and then uh, be a part of it when it uh, get, gets launched next year. 